It's the Andy Thompson Show on ESPN 97.7. Let's go to the sport hole, buddy. What do we got? Sports, sports, sports. Two-minute drill. Presented by Ideal Home and Auto Paint. To the five, to the two, diving, touchdown! All right, let's do it, Larry. We got a new, we got Sam reading the questions today, right? Yes. All right, welcome, Sam. Uh, go ahead, buddy. Sport hole. Who are you cheering for in the state championships on Friday? Mm-mm. Well, I'll leave out 4A because we know who we're all cheering for when it comes to 4A in the Crimson Close matchup with Green Canyon. I'll go into that a little bit more in depth. And the other ones, I'm going for the underdog. You always go for the underdog. And what's amazing about Utah high school football is you think about the just absolutely debilitating uh, dynasties over the years in Utah. And you look at... Temp View in 5A, who won four in a row in the Covey era and then won three in a row in the, or four in a row pre Covey and then three in a row shortly after. They won seven in the matter of like 10 years in 5A. That's a dynasty. You're winning more than two in a row. That's a dynasty. I'll give you credit for that. Bingham, for all of the dominance Bingham has had this century, never once did they win three in a row. They've had a couple where they won two in a row, but never three in a row. In my lifetime, the most debilitating just throw your hands up if you're any other team in their classification, the season's over before it starts, was Skyline. Skyline in the 90s won like five in a row and then lost one and then won two more. And if you go back to the 70s, they were dominant as well. I think undoubtedly the greatest dynasty. But where Utah does a great job, Larry, because you want to root against Corner Canyon. Because they are the ranked team nationally and the best team in the state of Utah and all the quarterback talent and all of these guys going all over the place power five-wise. They haven't had... They've won two in a row before. But they haven't won the last the last couple. Now they have a chance to win it again uh, this year, but they gotta, they got to beat Sky Ridge with their ineligible players playing for Sky Ridge, right? So my point about Corner Canyon and Utah in general is for the most part... The state of Utah does a great job at not having dynasties just debilitate a whole classification year after year after year after year. If you look around at other states like California, like Nevada, where you have these big Catholic schools who turn into basically prep academies for Power 5 schools, and you can recruit, you can get anybody from anywhere to come to your school. And I know that there's some of that going on up in in Utah County and some of these other places in Salt Lake that are attracting players from out of their school, you know, boundaries to come play. It happens everywhere. But if you compare Utah to these other states, the amount of tyranny at the top, it doesn't last for seven years. It doesn't last for 10 years. Bingham had a great run for two decades, but now they're back to being kind of middle of the road and not competing at the top end. Uh, Skyline dropped off. Northridge dropped off. Think of these teams that won multiple na- uh, national, multiple state championships. They have their their run in the sun. And even Corner Canyon now, who when um, Zach Wilson was winning state championships there, it was like, okay, they're getting all the talent. They've got all the money. They're going to dominate for a while. And then Lehigh pops up and Sky Ridge pops up. They're now both 6A. And they're good. American Fork's good. Uh, Pleasant Grove, who got screwed out of the game against Sky Ridge, they're good enough to win. Lone Peak. We forget about Lone Peak, Larry. 
another uh, program with a lot of money and uh, talent year in and year out. They were a little bit down this year. But I like that. I like that about 6A. 5A, you got Bountiful taking on Tempview. Tempview's probably going to win. Bountiful's the 10th seed. I will be rooting for Bountiful in that matchup. And I like that they're in there. Uh, Tempview, I think, head and shoulders, even though they almost lost to Olympus, they needed a field goal to win. The difference between Tempview and the next best team in 5A is kind of like, in my opinion, Crimson Cliffs and the next best team in 4A. There's a big gap there. 6A is a little bit more competitive at the top. But the point is, you're not going to be on top for 10 years. You're not going to be on top for five years because it's it's so competitive. You look at uh, De La Salle from California. You look at St. John Bosco or Bishop Gorman or these other pre- uh, premier Catholic schools in Florida. And they just, uh, you know, they play their national schedule. And they go and tour and they travel. But when it comes to playing in a state tournament, they play in the state tournament and they win it every year. And they take the the fun out of it for everybody else. And Utah doesn't have that. It's a lot more competitive. But I will be cheering for the underdogs this Friday, except for in the 4A state championship game, Larry. Um, our region rush spotlight player continues daily here as we uh, lead up to the state championship game. Every day we're releasing a spotlight player brought to you by the Matt Hickman team at Academy Mortgage as well as Ideal Home and Auto Paint. Today's was McKay Wright. And watching McKay Wright's film, who's only a junior, he'll be back next year, is uh, a lot of fun because it's such a dynamic defense that they play. And McKay Wright's a middle linebacker who is so good in pass coverage. We saw it against Ridgeline where he's dropping back into his hook zones. He, he had one pick that's, that sealed the game. He almost had another pick. He's batting balls away. He's going on run blitz. He's, he's getting tackles for loss. He had 16 tackles in that game. This is a Division One linebacker, in my opinion. He's 6'1", 210 pounds or something like that. And he'll just get bigger, faster, stronger by his senior year. He's getting looks uh, by a bunch of different places. And the two plays that we spotlighted today were him going on run. What I was going to say about why this defense is so hard is because how dynamic the four linebackers are. And they can just come at you from any angle. They can come from the middle. They can come from the outside. The two that we looked at today, you have McKay Wright, who is the, who is the inside linebacker, basically playing the role of a defensive end in that 3-4 defense, except he's running from five yards back, timing the snap, and by the time he gets to the line of scrimmage, he's going full bore, laying out whoever's trying to block him and making the tackle behind the line of scrimmage. So he's fun to watch. It's a fun defense to watch, and I'm sure coach, with how well that they execute. So you can go check that out on our Twitter or our Instagram, the Region Rush Players Spotlight. Presented by Ideal Home and Auto Paint, as well as the Matt Hickman team at Academy Mortgage, top 1% mortgage originator in the country, right here in your backyard in southern Utah. Thanks, Larry. The Sport Hall. Sports, 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 sports. The Hard Rockers now 0 of 8 from 3 in this game tonight. Nice give and go, and a layup by Mason Falslam. Gave it to Isaac Johnson. All right, Sporty. Who are you rooting for tonight? Mm. SUU or Utah State? Don't be a coward. Well, Utah State is one of my uh, alma maters. Love Logan. Love Utah State. 
but I'm cheering for SUU because I'm an SUU homer now. I'm a Southern Utah homer. I'm a Utah Tech homer. So I'm cheering for the local team, Larry. I don't give a crap about Utah State basketball right now, unless they are good again and go to the tournament. But if they do, their coach will just, you know, Sprinkle will just leave. The, the, the fact that Ryan Odom left, and he left to go to VCU, and I don't blame Odom. I don't blame Odom because they played him. They paid him. Uh, they paid him more, ish. But he's also from there, and his dad coached there, and it meant a lot for him to go back to Virginia to coach. Fine. I blame Utah State for not having their crap together and enough self-esteem to keep somebody in Logan. Are you trying to have a football program? Are you trying to have a basketball program? If you are, you should be able to win a face-off with Virginia Commonwealth. And they couldn't. They couldn't get the funds enough. They couldn't entice him to stay enough. He was good. He took them to the Mountain West Championship game where they played the eventual uh, San Diego State who went to the national title game out of the Mountain West last year, and they were right there with them. One of the best shooting teams in the country. They lose They lose Odom. They lose Ashworth. Now, what scratches my itch a little bit is Ashworth's at Creighton. They're, I think they're 2-0. and Yes, you know... One of the games he scored 17, the next game he scored 7, he'll be fine. Creighton will go to the tournament. That's a guarantee. I get it. He's getting paid a few hundred thousand dollars to play for the Blue Jays, probably. Odom, first game at VCU, lost to McNeese State. Another reason you can cheer for SUU in this matchup, obviously Coach Jeter in his first year there. Brock Felder, formerly of Crimson Cliffs before he transferred up north. Was it Parowan or something? He went up and played. Super athletic kid. Got three minutes in their last game. Three minutes, scored seven points. So it'll be interesting as a freshman if he gets in against Utah State. Mason Falslev for Utah State is the guy I like to watch the most because of his uh, history playing for Skyview, winning a state championship. And he's kind of been, uh, he had one great game and then one not-so-good game their last game. We'll see how he does against SUU. And it's a cool, I, I like that SUU and Utah State play a lot because it's a rivalry that should kind of happen, right? We have such a problem in this state having a continuity of rivalries. BYU never wants to do a home-and-home with Utah State. Um, Utah and BYU basketball, I know they play this year, but they don't play every year. And if they do, it's at at a neutral site a lot of the time. Um, I like that SUU plays Utah State. I like that that they go up to the spectrum. That is one of the best home court advantages. And I know it's tapered off after the moral uh, Stu uh, Stu Moral era, but I think with them being good last year, it was it was up there again. And I hope that uh, Sprinkle can keep it up at Utah State. And if you look at the best home court advantages in college basketball in the West, Utah State's in the conversation. They're in the conversation with San Diego State and the show, as they call their student section. That's good. It's pretty good. Obviously, the kennel with Gonzaga is probably the top one, uh, most national people would say. Um, Arizona, I guess. I've never been to a game at Arizona, but I know it has a great reputation, and that's one of the best basketball programs in the country. UCLA sucks. 
Just like they do in football. No home court advantage. USC sucks. Even with Bronny James. As far as uh, the home court advantage. Utah State's in the top five. Sue me. So it's hard to share against Utah State. Um, but I'm cheering for SUU in this game. Great question, Sam. That game, what is that game on, Larry? Can you look that up? Yes. Is it on, you know, ESPN Plus or is it on CBS Sports or is it on some impossible thing to watch? I don't know. I don't know what's it on. So I don't know how I'm going to watch it. Yes. Oh, thank you. Next question. What do we got? Are you excited for college basketball season, Larry? No. You will once football season ends. You will once football season ends. Yes. All right. Next question. What do you got? Overrated. Clap, clap, clap. Sporty. Mm. What did you think of Brandon Judd's future Big 12 rankings in the Des News? Great question. I love Brandon Judd. I love that he puts this together. He says, look, we're looking past this season. Who cares about the Pac-12? Who cares about the current Big 12? Let's look at next year's 2024 Big 12 and the 16 teams that are going to be there next year, and let's power rank those teams this year if they were currently in a conference. That was kind of uh, confusing, Larry, but I think you understand what I'm saying. He has Arizona 1, Utah 2. Those two teams play each other this week. And um, it's funny because no team in the top six... Oh, by the way, he's got BYU dead last at 16th. None of the teams in the Big 12 to be, there's not one team with less than three losses. So he's got Arizona, he's got Utah, he's got... He's got Kansas State, I think, third. I should have this pulled up, Larry, as we're doing this. But I wanted to talk about Jed Fish because here is Arizona, who is the worst program every year in the Pac-12, except for a couple blips on the radar when Rich Rodriguez was there. And they're terrible. They're in Tucson. Nobody wants to go play there. Nobody cares about football there. And... They go and hire this guy. I remember when they hired Jed Fish. I was like, what? You go from you go from Sumlin, who was a name. You go from Rich Rodriguez, who was a name, to Jed Fish, who has never been a head coach before. And he's kind of from the line of these film geek guys. Never played football. He's kind of a Mike Leach type. Went to the University of Florida, majored in criminology got enraptured by Florida's football team when Steve Spurrier was there and just started showing up. He just started showing up, Larry, and that's a good message in life. You just show up, and you work for free or you do whatever for a while. So he goes, he works with Spurrier, and then he works with Chip Kelly, and he works with Belichick and Pete Carroll, and he gets a reputation, Jim Harbaugh, uh, John Harbaugh, I think. And just keeps going. And in all these different places, he's showing up. This is what the shower thought was about. And he's in the background. And he's nondiscreet. And, but he's on all these big-time franchises and programs in, in football. And then when he gets a shot at being a head coach, he, he's kicking butt. And the reason why he's kicking butt at Arizona, first year gets pounded, right? Wins one game. Finishes last. 
Second and third year, he does better. He's doing great this year. Only two losses, a one-possession loss to Washington and a one-possession loss to, to USC. Um, and then a loss out of conference, right? Those are his two in-conference losses. But he's doing great because of the more most important thing that sometimes we forget about in college football when it comes to getting a coach to come and lead your program. And it's that he can recruit his butt off. And true recruiters who can just go into a living room and close a deal on a kid they're not supposed to get, those guys are the most valuable commodity in all of sports and all of college sports. But in this day and age with the transfer portal and the NIL, maybe they've been diminished a little bit, the importance of a guy like that. And so I just hope, Larry, that Jed Fish, who went and signed, if you look at his playmakers... They're high school kids that he recruited. They're not transfer portal guys. His quarterback, um, it, well, Delora was a transfer, but his quarterback that's taken over, this Fafita kid who's taken over for Delora once he's hurt is just as good, it seems like, is a high school kid. The star receiver is a high school kid. USC came and picked off his best receiver, Dorian Singer. Didn't matter. He just has a kid who bought into the system and is from Hawaii and is great and is running it really well. So... The ability to recruit high school talent and to go to these kind of second-tier kids, Lawrence, who aren't the USC kids, and say, look, you're a three-and-a-half star or you're a four-star, but your offers are from, you know, teams that aren't in the SEC or aren't USC or maybe aren't even Oregon. I'm going to beat Colorado, and I'm going to beat Arizona State to you, and I'm going to beat some of these Big 12 schools who have a better reputation than me because of my personality and my salesmanship. I'm not going to lose you to a second-tier team just because you're a second-tier guy and I'm a fourth-tier program. I'm going to go to you and say, hey, I'm kind of a fourth-tier guy myself. Nobody wanted me. Nobody knows who the heck I am. Nobody knows who the heck you are. But we're going to start a revolution in Tucson. And the kids are eating that up. And they're coming to play for fish. And they're putting up points. And and, and here's the other thing. Here's the other ingredient to what's made him successful. He's also brought in at the line position, Larry. At the line position. He's gone and got these outcast guys from big programs who were four or five star guys. His defensive line are, are dropbacks from Michigan, from Georgia, from UCLA, and other big time programs who are helping Arizona play some defense this year. So he's got the chip on the shoulder, guys that didn't get run at the big programs out of high school that they thought they were going to, Michigan and Georgia. He's got those guys who have something to prove with the chip on their shoulder playing defense for him, but he's building the the program in essence everywhere else, recruiting high school kids. And it goes beyond NIL money, I think. The fact that they've turned it around so quick and so remarkably, you think, how is this guy not cheating? And then you remember, oh, there's no such thing as cheating anymore. You can do anything. So how is he doing it? I think that's what it is. It is... It's his personality. It's his salesmanship. It's it's having the prestige of being an NFL guy who's been with Carroll, who's been with Belichick, who's been with Harbaugh, who's been with all of these guys and quarterback Sean McVay going to a Super Bowl with the Rams and all that stuff, but not having the ego 
and big name stuff that comes with that. So you have all of the advantage of that experience and street cred with players that you've been in the NFL, but you don't have the big ego and big dictatorial, like authoritarian thing that NFL coaches sometimes do when they come and coach college. So it's a nice little mix with Jed Fish. And kudos to Arizona for finding him. I think the president of Arizona was somehow buddies with Jed Fish going back. But that is a super lucky hire. And I'm one of the guys who, when they hired him, was like, what? I know you're Arizona, but geez, get somebody with some with some pizzazz, some some kind of spark. And it's they haven't needed that. They've they've got their guy, and he's been awesome. And he's according to Brandon Judd, he's got the best team right now of any team in the future Big Twelve next year. Now, my only thing with fish and guys like fish. Um Let's say Dan Lanning from Oregon, who's denied that he would ever leave Oregon. Famous last words because it's what Taggart said and it's what Cristobal said. I'm not leaving. You know, I love Oregon. Um, I hope they're smart enough, but especially Fish, is smart enough not to take the Texas A&M job or maybe not to take eventually the Florida job when Napier gets canned in another year or so, which is Fish's alma mater. Don't take those jobs because those are big corporations where your unique kind of skill set, which is going to three and a half, four star guys who are overlooked and bringing them and selling them on the chip on our shoulder. And we're going to have a better scheme and we're going to surprise people in a fun way and build something in a place that's usually not good. That's a perfect spot for a guy like Jed Fish. Him going to Texas A&M, where you've got a million boosters and $100 million who's going to crush your will to live. Now, if they're going to pay you $100 million, you take it. But you're going to lose your soul at Texas A&M. You're going to lose your soul at Florida. You're going to lose your soul at any number of these other places that are going to come after fish. So I hope he, I hope he just says, look, I'm making millions of dollars. My goal is to get a statue in Tucson to do something nobody else has ever done. People have won at Florida. Many people have won at Florida. Why do I want to do that job? Money. When you're offered $100 million, whatever the heck they're going to pay people, you take it. But I'm just saying, wouldn't it be nice, Larry? Perfect world if a guy like Jed Fish said, no, no, I'm going to stay here and coach this uh, horrible program at Arizona, but make it something, and I'll have a legacy beyond trying to compete with, you know, the legacy of Spurrier or Urban Meyer or whoever the heck else if he goes to one of these big programs. So I hope Fish stays small. And he is he is the next Mike Leach. Offensive mastermind, unique personality, um, never played football type of deal. Fish ain't a lawyer, but kind of a heady, smart guy, respected all around the country. Do you have the rest of that list, Larry, of the of Brandon Judd's? It, it would be nice to be able to list off the whole. Okay, Arizona's first, Utah's second. This is the 2024 Big 12 Power Rankings by Brandon Judd on the Deseret News. Kansas State is third. Iowa State is fourth. Oklahoma State is fifth. So that's your top five. That's what I've said over and over again about this conference. It's the best, most fun conference in the country starting next year. 
TCU's 11th. What other conference can you point to in college football where the number 11 team has a chance at winning the conference next year? TCU. Can you go to the 11th team in the SEC, Arkansas or some crap, and say they they have a realistic chance at winning the SEC next year? No. Can you go to Purdue in the Big Ten and say, you know what, they could win? No. Those conferences suck. Same with the ACC. Who's the 11th team in the ACC this year, Larry? Who knows? Who cares? Wake Forest? Can they win the conference next year? It's a fun conference. And Utah fans who are whining about having to go to the Big 12 because it's BYU's lesser conference than the Pac-12 need to understand that, Lawrence. And I'm trying to to get that across. All right. Great question. Great job by Brandon Judd. Next topic, Larry. What do you got? Op-ed or op-meh? Good night and good luck. All right, thank you. What do you got, Sam? All right, sports hole. Up Ed or up me? Karen J. Phillips and Deadspin decrying Jimbo Fisher's huge contract. Mm, our guy, I think it's Karan J. Phillips from Deadspin. Basically, his thesis is Fisher is the reason why. Let's see. Let me phrase this right. He's saying that the fact that you can pay out, you can buy out Jimbo Fisher for $100 million is evidence that these programs do have enough money to actually pay their players directly, right? Fine. Fine. Whatever. I'm against that. I think it's ridiculous. But I think I think the question that this op-ed brings up is, is a to a school... Sorry, I'm blubbering all over all over this topic, Larry, but I'm trying to put it together here. For a school, is it more valuable to go and buy one big name player? So let's say you're a medium a medium school in the SEC or the Big 12. Is it worth it to go buy one generational quarterback? Or use that same amount of money on a coach like Texas A&M did with Jimbo. In other words, will college football eventually kind of flip the pyramid like the NFL does, where the the guys making the most money aren't the the head coaches, they're the players. The reason that won't happen is because coaches in college football, the longevity, they're there for 10 years, the players are only there for 3 years or 4 years. But I think it's an interesting question. Would it be worth a program for Texas A&M to go and buy a Caleb Williams? Let's say Caleb Williams is a freshman. Would it bring more value to the school to have Caleb Williams in your program for three years or to go take a risk on another Jimbo Fisher? Let's say, you know, it's hard to think of a guy who would be available that has won a championship like Jimbo has, but... Let's say uh, an up-and-comer like Dan Lanning at at Oregon paying him $8 million a year. So do you get basically a replacement-level coach, hire an interim guy that you can pay a couple million to at A&M, use the other $8 million to go and pay the next generation's Caleb Williams to play for your program for three years? I think the answer is Caleb Williams. 
because Texas a and is a perfect example because they went and got Johnny Manziel and the amount of value that he added to that program, winning a Heisman and being the most exciting person in college football, echoes through decades for Texas A&M and what they are now and the money they have now. I think you can trace the ripple effect of that kind of back to Johnny football. So I would say I'm usually always on the side of the program and the coaches. In that hypothetical, I'm going with the player. The problem is the amount of generational players that are a guarantee to transform your program are few and far between. It's Cam Newton. It's Tebow. It's Caleb Williams. Like, you could say, well, what about, like, a guy like Bo Nix? Well, Bo Nix was in the SEC for, like, five years and wasn't was a mediocre player, right? The transformational guys that bring tons of money, attention, value to your school, those don't come around every year. Those come around once every seven years, once every ten years, maybe. And I think Caleb Williams, you know, he sucks. <laughs> they can't win a game. But, you know, I'd put him up there with those guys. With a few of those guys, at least. Great question, Larry. Thanks for generating some thought on the program. Way to go. All right, next topic. What do we got? Listener voicemail. Call us with your inane observations at 900-3776. All right, we got character calls, Larry. No. Oh, we got we got character texts, right? Yes. <laughs> All right, this is from Ethan. What do you think about the U of U gymnastics coach being suspended? Well, I was surprised by it because previously there were accusations against him. The school did an investigation. And whenever that happens, the coaches always can. In this case, the University of Utah said, we, we heard the athletes. They were complaining. We did an investigation. And what we found is... He did nothing wrong. We're keeping him, <laughs> which is amazing. It's what Northwestern did with their third-party investigation initially when they said, hey, Fitzgerald's fine. This is not like we're going to suspend him maybe for a couple games, but he's not going anywhere. Then there was the mob, and then Fitzgerald had to go. We got Cam. got forced out. The University of Utah comes out and suspends this guy, and they say, look, it, it, it's not to do with the previous investigation. This is new stuff. It doesn't have to do with player welfare. He's not assaulting anybody, but he's being mean. And players are saying he's being mean. And there's going to be more and more and more of this. And Utah has got a great gymnastics team. Um, And so it's always crazy to me that a great team who has a coach who is getting these athletes to perform at this insane level, his methods are questioned. Even though he's not hitting anybody, he's not abusive. This is from the University of Utah's uh, investigations. Basically, he's being mean, being a mean coach. This is a D1 program who's performing at a national elite level, and they're suspending their coach because he's too mean. Now, I understand that there's a side of this where the athletes are saying, look, you don't have to be a jerk to to get me to play good. My point is... One arrow in a coach's quiver, along with the other arrow, 
There's one arrow that's, look, I'm a nice guy. I'm like a father figure. I get the most out of you. I come and talk to you. I'm not yelling at you. I'm not trying to embarrass you. That's a great way to coach, and there's a lot of coaches like that. The other way to coach is the Bobby Knight approach, which is to be a complete jack wagon, berate the players, yell at them. But the idea that this coach is doing it to just because he's a jerk, I think misses the mark. The coach has just as much stake in this program being good and the player performing well as the player does. This is his job, meaning he is doing what he thinks is going to help the player perform. And sometimes that is being a jerk and yelling or berating or whatever, calling out the player. And sometimes that is the best way for some athletes to get the most out of them. So once again, my point when it comes to coaches being suspended or can for being mean coaches is you're taking away a tool that has worked for a hundred years in coaches' quivers to reach some athletes, to become the bad cop, to become the, the thing in the player's mind that they're so mad at, they're so ticked off at, that they just to spite that SOB, they're going to go out and just do that much, work that much harder, right? That is a strategy by the coaches. And we're going to take that away from them because we hear the, the story about the mean coaches and it's hard to hear because these are young athletes and the coaches being a jerk and he, and we're saying you can't do that anymore. You're gone. You can't reach players that way anymore. And I think as a result, players are let down and they miss out on reaching their full potential. Thank you, Larry. <clears throat> I'm sure he'll come back though. I'm sure he's just a suspension. Next topic. Oh, next text. Sorry, I keep thinking we're going to have a character call. Come on, audio, Larry. What do you think about ESPN Bet? Today, ESPN Bet has been released as an app. They're giving away $250. Bucks, uh, if you bet on something today, it's basically ESPN entering the betting, the gambling world directly. And here's what I think, Larry. ESPN's the king of sports still, even though there's a lot of people who are annoyed at ESPN. It's still the king of sports, and nobody's even close to it. And in the betting realm, you've got DraftKings, and you've got uh, the other one that's like DraftKings. You've got BetMGM. You have Barstool. And the people that are teaming up with ESPN is Penn, who initially bought Barstool, realized they they couldn't convert Barstool into a betting platform to get to capture enough betters in America to justify their investment in Barstool, so they sold it back to Barstool, then went and and teamed up with ESPN because ESPN's reach is so phenomenal. And the reason why I think it is going to be the new world order and an absolute home run for ESPN is because can you imagine during a game, you have the commentators or a little graphic that pops up about real-time betting during a game. It's the third quarter, and ESPN is putting up a Chiron saying bet now with these odds on whether, you know, Penn State will score this drive. It's going to change the world. I mean, to have an app and a brand like ESPN where you're not having to 
drive to Arizona or you're not having to... You might still have to drive to Arizona. I'm not sure how that's going to work, but where you're not having to deal with some shady bookie or go to Mesquite or any of that crap. It's just ESPN and you're betting. I think it's going to be an absolute killing. And for the the problems ESPN is having and Disney's having with the, you know, all the crap that's going on and the movies suck and people are protesting, this is a way to bring in a ton of revenue for ESPN. And that's why the NFL and the NBA and Major League Baseball and hockey are all like, hey, gambling, good. Gambling is now good. We want a part of the action. All these sports books are making millions and billions of dollars off of our leagues. We want to do it ourselves. And I think it's smart by ESPN to do it. And it's going to be a completely, you know, it's amazing. I think it's going to be a new world order. I'm not a big gambler, Larry. But I know people who are gamblers. Not big gamblers. But what I could never, what, what I can never understand is I understand the rush. But the idea of making money is a complete sham. It's all monopoly money. Anytime they win, it's just going back to the casino. And they have to know that intellectually, that anytime they get a big score, win 500 bucks, whatever it is, on a parlay or something, that's not your money. You're just renting it for the weekend. You're going to be giving that back to the casino eventually. And I think they understand that. They, I think they do understand it, but they're saying, look, I'm basically paying for the adrenaline and the rush, and it makes my life more fun on the weekends when I'm watching a college football game to have money on it, and I'm saying, great. In fact, here, here's 20 bucks. Put uh, put 20 on D on this weekend for me so I can get a little bit of that, of that rush myself. All right. Oh, we got another one about uh, issue once again being on bad beats. I didn't pull the audio, Larry. We'll have to do that tomorrow. And then uh, lastly, what do we got? One last topic, Lawrence. I, I live for radio and then television and podcast of the week. All right. This is a interview, not your normal podcast of the week recommendation in the sport hole, but this is David Brooks, who is a hoity-toity New York Times columnist, and John McWhorter, who is a Ivy League professor and they're talking about journalism, and I thought this was hilarious by uh, David Brooks mocking his own entity, the New York Times. Go ahead, Larry. I'll tell that. I shouldn't tell tales out of school, but uh, at the New York Times, I, we have assistants, and they, they filter out all the applications, and they give us three, and I get a broad diversity of America. I get Stanford, Stanford, Yale. Sometimes I get Yale, Yale, Stanford. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, but there is an element here... <clears throat> in a lot, frankly, of the institutions where I work, where, and I would say in the media generally, that basically we decided working class were not going to be, working class folks were not going to be in our world. Love it. That made me, I just love, and now I like David Brooks. And McWhorter's the man. I mean, he's the best. So you can go listen to that on YouTube. Uh, It's David Brooks, John McWhorter at the Aspen Ideas Festival. And they're kind of going against the crowd. So the crowd, who's super liberal, starts trying to hammer these guys. And then these guys come back at them. And it's very entertaining to watch. But the point that Brooks is making about how annoying these journalists nowadays are. And maybe it's always been like this. But a part of it is because they are so much smarter than us. 
And the reason that is is because all they hire is from these elite institutions like Stanford and Yale with all these annoying 20-year-old you know, kids coming out who want to uh, tell us how the world works. Good for David Brooks mocking the New York Times because they're the most guilty of that of anybody. I, I did not mean for that to get political at all, Larry, but it kind of is. But it's kind of not. It's just in general, journalism has turned into an elite kind of a snobby, you're stupid, we're the smart people who went to Yale, and we're going to tell you what to do and how the world works. And we're not going to put up with that crap in the sport hole, right, Larry? Yes. All right, sorry about that. Quick break. Back with uh, close out the show. We've got, let's see, we've got the Vegas Golden Knights next on ESPN. Back to National on Fox Sports Utah. Thanks for being with us. We'll be back tomorrow, full show, 4 to 6, the Andy Thompson Show with Rustin Burnside.